The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, Jesse Ventura is back on Talk is Jericho this week. He has updated his American Conspiracies book, added four new chapters of crazy, crazy uh, subjects and things that happen that you cannot explain. And he's here on Talk is Jericho again to share the latest on all of his theories. That book, American Conspiracies, Volume 2, came out yesterday. We'll hear what the governor has to say about the assassinations of President Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, JFK. And here's the new one. How about a conspiracy? Conspiracy behind the death of John Lennon. That's right. He's also going to talk about the conspiracy that was President Reagan's freeing of the Iran hostages back in 1980, one day after he was elected, after weeks and weeks and weeks of efforts to try and get those hostages uh, released. Also going to talk about the American government's treatment of missing in action soldiers. We're also going to talk about Donald Trump and what Jesse may or may not be doing next year. Yeah, it's a Talk is Jericho exclusive as Jesse hints that, uh, well, let's just say uh, uh, president. We'll have to wait and see. I'm ready to go toe-to-toe with Jesse Ventura. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived, and it's Friday. One, two, three, four. That song did not have Friday in it, but it's the new song from the Potato Pack, which is Chris, me, and Cheyenne and Sarah, my twin daughters. A little bit of acoustic rock and roll for you there. They're going to be future, uh, the future uh, Dixie Chicks, maybe. It's going to be awesome. Hope you love it. Hope that puts a smile on your face on Friday. Happy to have Jesse 
the Governor Ventura here talking about conspiracy theories. And it is brought to you today's episode by Burger King. Because right now at Burger King, you can get the new extra long jalapeno cheese battle gato. Feel the flame with two all beef patties stacked with spicy jalapeno peppers. Now part of the two for five dollar deal. Only at Burger King limited time only restrictions apply. All right, go get some Burger King. Get ready to feed your tummy as we feed your mind with some serious food for thought. Jesse Ventura is coming up uh, with all of the new conspiracy theories from his new book, American Conspiracies. I'm also uh, going to tell you, uh, read a few uh, Talk is Jericho letters from the Gmail account. Going to answer a couple questions uh, here at Talk is Jericho. But first, 2016 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees are here. Uh, they've been announced and once again, controversial. Thankfully, thank the Lord, Deep Purple has made it into the nominations again, although it's got to be probably the fifth or sixth time that Purple's been nominated. How can you not have them included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's so ridiculous. Smoke on the water. That alone. All right, Deep Purple, they got to make it to the Hall of Fame this year. I know Lars Ulrich agrees with me. So many rock and rollers agree with me. If you like rock and roll, Deep Purple influenced so many bands, including Metallica. What more do you want? If you're talking about the architects of rock and roll, uh, the architects of heavy music, it's Black Sabbath, it's Led Zeppelin, it's Deep Purple. I always said that there's three huge standouts from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which was Purple, Rush, and Kiss. Rush and Kiss are in there. It's time to put Deep Purple in the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to pull an Eddie trunk on you i just think that's the only band that really really needs to be in the others are up to debate uh other nominees this year and these are not in the rock and roll of fame these are uh, nominees nine inch nails that's the type of band that the rock and roll um the Hall of Fame loves putting into uh, into the uh, Hall because they've got credibility. They're fairly uh, new. And uh, why not? The very kind of trailblazers put them in there. NWA, they'll probably get into, especially with Straight Outta Compton being so important right now, being such a big hit. Uh, the Smiths. You know, um, you can, I can take it or leave it. Uh, if they make it in, it'd be kind of like if Lou Reed went in last year. I'm sure they have a lot of fans, but they don't really resonate with me. Deep Purple, yes, it's a must. If Deep Purple doesn't go in and the Smiths go in, I'm going to be on a hunt. I'm going to track down Yon Winter and kick him in the Yates, man. So I'm going to do because you know that me and Wise Cousin Chad will be at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame again this year for the third year running. Thanks to Betsy Hill and all at Rolling Stone magazine. Um, also, also on the ballot, Janet Jackson. I can, I'm cool with that. I can, I can see Janet going in. I mean, she is a huge, huge star for the last 25, 30, 35 years. If you include her uh, amazing work on Good Times, don't forget she was, uh, she was the daughter, Winona's daughter. Always had some funny lines on there. I also uh, think that, I mean, with the Michael Jackson connection, and you know, the, the Jackson family is so huge, and they've done so much. I would think uh, we should really put um, Janet in there. I, have a, I don't have a problem with that. Sheik, I think they're like Dick Murdoch in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. They come very, very close. They're kind of the watermark, but I don't think they have uh, what it takes to go all the way and be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Steve Miller, yeah, sure. I mean, everyone knows the Steve Miller band. Some people call me the Joker. Some people call me the Space Cowboy. Whatever the hell it is. Some people call me Maurice. Everyone loves doing that. But so many other huge songs that Steve Miller has. Fly 
like an eagle to the sea. I mean, there's tons. I think definitely Steve Miller should be in there. He's definitely in the uh, Bob Seger category, John Cougar Mellencamp category of being in the Hall of Fame. Chicago, they should probably go into. They got 40 years, still drawing huge crowds and kind of doing something that uh, it's never been done before. It's never been done before with all the horns and everything, kind of like a white earth, wind, and fire. Shaka Khan, I don't think she's got what it takes, although everyone knows that one song. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. Let me tell you what you're going to do. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. You know I love you, whatever the hell it is. Um, does she also have the freeway of love? No, that was Aretha Franklin. Okay, Shaka Khan's only other thing that I can tell you about is that she was in the Blues Brothers in the choir scene when they go to the uh, church and Jake Blues sees the light and wants to put back together the band. Okay, uh, also the Spinners, you know... Um, I think the Spinners might be the rubber band, man. But uh, they're kind of interchangeable for me. Cheap Trick, yes. Cheap Trick should go in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think they're kind of an outside long shot, though. Because, I mean, but come on, Cheap Trick. 40 years of just being one of the best kick-ass bands of all time. Uh, never really stopped. Very influential. Very cool. Then you got the Cars, who are also, um, you know, I mean, kind of one of those new wave type bands that... I think that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would love to put in. Their their lifespan was very short, only five or six years, but a lot of hits. So I can see the cars going in. The JBs um, don't really know the JBs, but they could go. I think last year there was like the Kings or the Five Kings that went in there, whatever it was. Uh, they they went in, so I can see the JBs going in as well. Los Lobos, I think, uh, no way Los Lobos should go in. Um, once again, great band, and I'm not. Uh, putting down any of these bands, I just think that if you're talking about a band like Los Lobos, I think they're very much a um, uh, marginal band to go in there. So I would say no to them. And yes, I mean, yes, I mean, you got to put yes in there. If they don't make it, it's not going to make me sad. But there's tons and tons of people who who find yes one of the greatest, most influential bands of all time. And once again, the uh, much like deep the the uh, the rock and hall uh, the rock hall of fame waiting to put Deep Purple in after John Lord passes away. It's a shame that they finally put yes on the ballot right after Chris Squire passed away, the bass player who was on every single Yes record that you can imagine. Um, so. Yeah, you know, they're kind of marginal for me, um, whether they make it in, whether they don't make it in. I think they should make it in just on their reputation alone uh, and all the stuff that they've done and their longevity, but I don't think they will. If you're going for me with the top five or top six, I'd say Chicago would go in, The Cars, Deep Purple, Steve Miller, Janet Jackson, Cheap Trick. There you go. That's my choices for this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hopefully, uh, Deep Purple goes in there. If not, I'm going to flip out and freak out. Freak out! I think that's a chic song. But um, excited to check it out. I believe that's uh, April 8th in New York City this year after being in Cleveland last year. And I will be there or be square. Once again, thanks to Rolling Stone's Betsy Hill, who gets me and wise cousin Chad into the uh, into the hall ceremonies every year. She was also at the Madison Square Garden show, the Jericho 25th anniversary show and if you haven't listened to the podcast it's called the 25th anniversary jericho's 25th anniversary with don Callis, uh lenny st Clair, and lance storm you got to listen to it it's one of the funniest things you'll ever hear i'm laughing so hard about it uh unbelievable stories great 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 times great chemistry with my friends and what a great night we had it was awesome to have them there in the front row um, you know, when I found out that this was going to be the 25th anniversary and it just happened to fall on that October 3rd date, I knew I wanted them there to be a part of it. I'm glad they were there. Had a great time at the show. 
Um, then afterwards, like I said, we went to Benjamin Steakhouse in New York City. And I got to thank Benjamin Steakhouse. If you're ever in New York City, you need to go to Benjamin Steakhouse. And uh, I want to thank Benjamin Pravukaj, who is the boss. Um, great, great guy. Thanks for having us. Just good, good times. So like I said, uh, if go listen to the Jericho 25th anniversary podcast and laugh along with us as you hear all of the ridiculous stories about our early years in the business. Um, such, a, such a good time and, and a very, very special night for me. Thanks to all of you who were there. Uh, thanks to all of you who were there uh, in spirit. And thanks to all of you who have been following me for all these years. If you followed me for one day or if you followed me for all 25 years, you guys are the best. You guys are the wind beneath my wings. All right, we got the governor, Jesse Ventura, is back, and he's talking American conspiracies, also talking about how he felt about the passing of Roddy Roddy Piper, also wanted to discuss uh, the Jimmy Snuka case for a little while. You know, once you're in the business, it never goes away. I also asked him if he ever misses being in the ring, uh, but he's definitely kept in shape. He's a big guy, and he uh, he's, uh, he's doing a great job of keeping that body rolling as he gets into his uh, late 50s, early 60s, mid-60s. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. All right, back on the show uh, after a huge, huge uh, episode a few months ago. Jesse Ventura is here with the new book, is American Conspiracies. Governor, how you doing? I'm doing good, Chris, but actually it's not a new book. We've just updated it with, uh, we've made the addition of the original conspiracies in the time we released it the first time. We've added four more, and uh the way it looks now, I could probably add a chapter a year because the government usually does at least one thing every year that they that they cover up and from us the public. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I read the book last night with the four additional chapters, like you said. And the book, the, the originally the book came out in two thousand and ten. Here we are in fifteen. You added four chapters, so there is one controversy conspiracy a year that you're that you're coming out and finding out about. Well, we also went way back in time, too, a little bit, including because one that was very close to me, Chris, was the POW chapter. You know, yes. having served myself in the military, uh, the government's very deceitful to all their military people in telling them that if you're captured, we will do everything and anything to get you back. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if you become a political liability, kiss your butt goodbye. They're not going to do anything to bring you back. And uh, that's been that we prove and show multiple cases where that happened, both in Vietnam as well as to uh, Captain Scott Spiker over in, in uh, the Middle East that happened in the first Gulf War. His is a terrible tragedy. He was shot down the first day of the George Bush War when, uh, when we drove uh, uh, Iraq out of Kuwait. Mm-hmm. And... and uh, Dick Cheney was the Secretary of Defense at that time, and he, he declared Spiker dead that first day. So they really did no search for him or nothing. His plane got shot down. It turned it was shot down by friendly fire. The plane did what it was supposed to do. Spiker survived, 
and literally was captive for about eight years. He was on the loose for three or four with a nomadic tribe there who protected him. And then Saddam eventually found out and caught him, killed these tribal people that protected him, and threw him in jail to use him as a bargaining chip against the U.S. He actually was in Abu Ghraib for a while before we got over there. And uh, then, of course, when we invaded Iraq, uh, Spiker no longer was a bargaining chip of any use, so Saddam just killed him. Well, and you mentioned as far as being a political pawn or whatever when you're when you're a POW. What what is the point of capturing these guys and just keeping them under the radar? Like you said, like just as far as Cheney's point of view and it's not an embarrassment. You know, here Cheney declared him dead. Spiker actually, his family. It must have been heartbreaking. They actually had to hold two funerals. One initially way back during the uh, the, the Gulf War. And then when they determined he had been alive and didn't actually die until 2003, some 12 to 13 years later, and then when we invaded, they actually recovered his flight suit and his remains and things like that. I think it was around 2004, 2006, something like that. And so the family then went through a second funeral. And But, you know, the U.S. government did what they could. I mean, they now honor him with a base over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, but you're talking I about say that a bit tongue in cheek and sarcastic, even though it's true. Well, well, of course, but you're also talking about how there's like thousands and thousands of unaccounted for soldiers, POWs. I believe you said somewhere around eight thousand or something like that. Where, where are these? Where are these guys? Who knows? But we're going back to World War Two. Mm-hmm, okay, if you come from World War Two forward. This is the number of guys missing in action that we've basically left behind. We never accounted for them. Uh, in Vietnam, there were multiple sightings of American prisoners over there for decades. And, of course, we would do nothing to go get them because the president and our government had told us every man when we I was I was there. Mm-hmm. Every man they told us at the end of the Vietnam War in 75 that every man was accounted for. And that's and not the total, case. And it was bullshit. Right. <laughs> and see, they're not going to. They're not going to then come back and say, well, we kind of misled you a couple years ago. Too much of an embarrassment and having to go back exactly. and admit it. You're a political liability then. And that, that's what guys need to know when they're fed this. Because you're told in boot camp, you're told all through your military that if you get captured, the U.S. will do anything and everything to get, make sure you return home. And it's simply not true. So they're just basically lost and unaccounted for forever? Yeah. They're considered MIA, missing in action, you know. Yeah. Probably the same as, like, if, if you happen to be standing right next to where a big bomb hit and it blew you into a thousand pieces, you would be missing in action because, unfortunately, they couldn't find you. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. But these guys were alive. You know, there's many accountings of guys who were alive and were left behind. Uh, the... Uh, uh, there's a great book, uh, 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 oh, I forget the, the title of it right now off the top of my head, but it's in the book, I reference it in the book, that people should, when the boys come home oh, or kiss, whatever it was. Kiss the boys goodbye? Kiss the boys goodbye, thank you. That's okay. the name. I urge people to read that book about Vietnam, because that's what got me started on this whole thing. When I, when I go to Mexico in the winter, mm-hmm. I don't watch TV, believe it or not, I read. And I read between 17 and 20 books a winter. And I happened to read Kiss the Boys Goodbye down there, and it just outraged me as a veteran that our country knowingly, 
left hundreds of guys in Vietnam, and who knows what has happened to them now. Is there anything we can do to help these guys? No, it'd probably be worthless to bring them home now. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they'll be so screwed up. What would they do coming back to this age? You're going to hand them a cell phone? Yeah, good point, right? <laughs> Stuck in the jungles <laughs> from the 60s. The computer and say, yeah, <laughs> this is how we do things now. You've been gone for 40 years. You've got to catch up. Well, and, and you mentioned earlier right now about how you read a lot when you're, I mean, you're very, very educated about all this stuff. And there's a lot of conspiracies in here going back to, to the assassination of Lincoln all the way up until like you're talking about the POWs right now, et cetera, et cetera. What got you interested in, in these conspiracy theories to write these very intricate, uh, very detailed books about them? Well, because, you know, in a way they're better than what Tom Clancy could write, hmm. you know, because to me, you're talking about real people. You're not talking about doing a novel where a writer uses his imagination and thinks up a great plot. You know, that's all a ima- the, the, I, li- I don't like to read. I have my own imagination, and I don't hold anything against novel readers. They're entertaining as hell, and writers and all that. But I just prefer reading history, and I prefer reading history within my life, things that I remember. And I prefer today reading alternative history. Because we're not being taught in schools the things we need to know and the truth about history. Like if we go back, were you? Uh, nobody in this country was ever taught that there was a coup d'état attempt against FDR. Never. On Wall Street. Very much paralleling what happened in 08. Right. <laughs> you know, no, we didn't learn that. Look at when they killed Lincoln. The only thing you're basically taught in school is John Wilkes Booth. And it turns out it was a huge conspiracy. They were going to attempt to kill Lincoln, Vice President Johnson, and Secretary of State Seward. They were only successful with Lincoln. Six, I believe six or seven people were prosecuted for it and sentenced to death. And here's why it's so novel, including the first woman. Really? Yes. And see, we're not taught that in school. I went through in public schools in America, and it ended right at John Wilkes Booth. Well, that's all you know, and maybe uh, Samuel Mudd. My name is Mudd, the doctor who who yeah, who, who that, treated that, that Booth. I, that hit Booth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My name. There you go. So you learn of two guys, and I think it's done on purpose so that we equate assassinations to lone nuts. Because if you look at all the assassinations in the '60s and '70s, Dr. Martin Luther King. Robert F. Kennedy, John Lennon, they're all attributed to lone nuts, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting that they teach you all three of the lone nuts' name? Mm. John Wilkes Booth, Mark David Chapman, Lee Harvey Oswald, <laughs> James Earl Ray, this goes on and on. Yet, I'll ask you this, Chris, what's Charles Manson's middle name? No idea. There you go. Probably the most infamous killer in American history. And nobody knows his middle name. I know it because I've studied him. So why why are you saying, because that, that's kind of a joke, you know what I mean? Like when Buckwheat got assassinated on Saturday Night Live, the guy had three names. The guy always has three names. Well, why, why are you saying that they do that? You it down to one person. Hmm. There could be 50 Lee Oswalds, but how many Lee Harvey Oswalds are there? Right. See, it's to get you to think of single, to embed subconsciously in your brain one person. And that way, all assassinations in this country, 
and, and it's really laughable, Chris. You're telling me all these guys acted alone, and a conspiracy by definition means two people. Mm-hmm. That's a conspiracy. If you and I, Chris, conspire to do something, on, like if we talk today and do something because of that talk, we've, conspired, we've created a conspiracy. It's it's funny when you read this book because everybody knows, of course, and we talked about this last time about JFK, and and it's you know it's quite obvious that there was more than just one guy involved. But like you just said, there's a pattern throughout history, whether it was Lincoln. Um, the the ones that really got me were Malcolm X, uh, RFK, and 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 Martin Luther King, which you talk about all three in this book, and they're all very similar kind of almost behind the scenes setups as to what happened with JFK. Yeah, exactly, and then take it all the way to. Beetle John Lennon. Yeah, you don't. You don't really touch on Lennon in the book. So you're saying well, that there's I a. Cons- I, I, I should, but there's a couple great books out there about Lennon. But I've studied it. I've read them. Well, and Mark David Chapman, the guy that killed Lennon. Yeah. He had the most peculiar behavior of anybody. I mean, here this guy. He got Lennon's autograph earlier in the day. I think he's a Manchurian candidate. I think he was p- part of the extension of the MK Ultra, where they do all the stuff to create assassins and then, you know, are, exactly. are really, it sounds crazy, but hypnosis, and that's all proved, the MK Ultra program back in the 60s and 70s. When you're and saying Manchurian, Manchurian candidate, you're talking about someone that's basically hypnotized to, to yeah, go to kill somebody? Things, because he, look at how Chapman, what he did that night. Lennon comes home from the studio, Chapman walks out from the bushes, he had never had any formal gun training or anything in his life. And they allege he dropped in, fired a round of bullets into Lennon that would make a, a drill instructor proud. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Then when he was done, he had three easy routes to escape. He could have ran right into Central Park. If you've ever been to New York, you know, you could get lost there quick. Right. right? Especially with the Dakotas, it's right on the corner of Central Park. Oh, right it's literally Central across Park. the street. Yeah. Right across the street is Central Park. Yeah. He could have went right down and gotten the subway. Or he could have literally walked down the streets of New York. You know what it's like there. Mm-hmm. Shoot, it's crowded 24-7. And, but what did he do? Wait till you hear what he did. He stepped back in the shadows, laid the weapon down, pulled out the book, The Catcher in the Rye, and was standing there reading it when the police arrived. Mm-hmm. Now that's some pretty bizarre behavior. Now, what's the purpose of the catcher in the rye? Was there something in that book that he had been, you know, brainwashed, hypnotized to react to in that book? Who knows? And why would would they, well, first of all, who would have assassinated Lennon and why? Well, okay, let's go back to 1980. John Lennon had been a house husband for five years, right? Correct. John Lennon is the leader of the peace movement. And let's regress again. Notice that every guy assassinated stood for peace. Martin Luther King, peace. Malcolm X, when he returned from Mecca, changed man, was actually there was fear he was going to team up with Dr. King. And they didn't want that to happen. So, peace. Then you got Robert Kennedy in 68. I was alive then. Mm -hmm. His total run for president was ending the Vietnam War, peace. His brother, Jack Kennedy, there would have never been a Vietnam War. He was back-channel communicating with Khrushchev, to end the Cold War by 65. If Jack Kennedy would have lived, we would be living in a totally different world today. But unfortunately, they killed him. And uh, now we live in the world we're in. But every guy murdered violently was someone who stood for peace, getting back to Lenin. Mm-hmm. 
Lenin had been on hiatus, being a house husband, raising his son. He was just coming back into prominence. He had been back in the studio. He was rejuvenated. And guess who just got elected president? Ronald Reagan and the conservative right, who tend to be very much war. Mm. And they didn't want Lenin out there. because John Lennon will live forever. Because as long as there's a peace movement anywhere in the world, his song will be sung. Right. You know, give peace a chance. Yeah. And so Lennon made his mark, and he will live forever. Bless him. You know, and, but uh, th- that's the reason. They didn't want John Lennon coming back on the scene again. Heck, they had wars to fight. They had stuff to do here. Don't need no guy leading the masses. Especially when you think about it, had John Lennon continued on, he probably would have become very iconic as a peace leader. Whether he wanted to be or not, he was already the symbol of that oh, uh, no doubt back about in 80, it. right? Yeah, No doubt about it. Like I said, anywhere you see a march against war, you will hear John Lennon's song. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the symbol. That's the anthem. That's the anthem. All we are saying is give peace a chance. Another kind of uh, connection between all of these, you know, whether it be Mark David Chapman or Sirhan Sirhan or uh, Harvey Oswald or all the rest of the guys, James O'Reilly, I found it very interesting. You, you you pointed out every time that the guys would go and commit these very intricate plots to assassinate a public leader and then just have the worst escape uh, plan and just leave all of this evidence right out in the open. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it it. it... It becomes laughable, especially in the case of Oswald. Mm-hmm. You know, my good friend Vince Bugliosi died. Terrific lawyer. He's the guy that prosecuted Manson. Yeah, he wrote Helter Skelter. And Vince and I remain good friends, even though we differed greatly on the Kennedy killing. We were in opposite corners, and I used to duel with Vince mentally on it. And I remember Vince saying to me as a prosecutor, he said, there was so much evidence against Oswald Governor. And I looked at him and said, Vince, wouldn't there be that much evidence if, there, if it was a setup? Mm-hmm. And he had to pause a moment. I said, Vince, there was too much evidence, and, it, and a lot of it bad evidence, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, but anyway, getting back to why I re- that's why I read, Chris, about these, because to me, the characters, I remember the, some of them. Uh, you, you maybe don't know them personally, but you think you know them. And uh, that's what I find infatuating. Like when wrestling, I always attribute it to when wrestling changed. You know, I was on the, f- the ground floor when Vince went national. You know, Hogan, myself, Roddy, and, and uh, Orndorff and Macho and all of us were the ground floor steamboat. And uh, we switched from driving in cars to the regionalized territories, which you know about, mm-hmm. to jumping on airplanes. <laughs> well, as you know, when you fly every day, you sit for hours in airports and you sit for hours on planes. And I just made the decision at that point in my life, why waste this? Why don't you try educating yourself? So I started picking up books. And when I'd gotten out of, of the military and I went to one year of junior college, Mark Lane came and spoke. And he was the first guy that wrote against the Warren Commission. And I heard him in 1973 four. And, and I was stunned hmm. because I thought, you mean somebody doubts what they told us? Because I hadn't paid attention. I was a young kid of 12, 13, whatever I was, when Kennedy was killed in junior high. And, you know, my life went on. The Beatles and the Rolling Stones showed up, and I got <laughs> off track a little. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, 
this was the first time I was I was stunned. I said, "Someone doesn't believe the official story." And so then, when I went into when wrestling changed and I started flying on planes, I started picking up every book I could get on the Kennedy assassination, and I found the reading. The flights and the sitting in airports would just fly by because I'd be so engaged in these books, and and it made it it, it really helped make the the horrible ordeal of travel as a pro athlete, which most of us will tell you is the hardest part of it, and it made it bearable. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, let's get back to the governor, Jesse Ventura. You know, being being a governor, the, the former governor of Minnesota, and having all of this information and, and, and basically exposing so many things, do you ever get any type of, uh, of I don't even know what the word would be, of hassles, of, of, of following, of people telling you to lay off, Governor? I mean, you get, you're the, probably the most public person to talk about this stuff in this day and age. No, Chris, actually it's the opposite. Hmm. It's what keeps me doing it, is the average Joe on the street. I'll go out, like, i got to go out for this book tour to New York in a couple weeks. Right. And I'll, I'll be in New York City. And I, I can't tell you how people, regular, everyday people, will walk up to me, and they'll look me in the eye and say, Governor, you keep doing what you're doing. I can't tell you how often. That's what really keeps me going on this. Hmm. You know, I take, I, you know, they've gone after me hard, too. And, uh, you know, what they do, they, they can not assassinate you physically, but they can assassinate your credibility. Have you had that's stuff like that happen to you? they've attempted to do to me. Oh, really? Oh, God, yes. As in- I mean, I'm, I'm now considered a conspiracy nut. Well, come on. England did a big study, and they found out that people that study conspiracies tend to be smarter I laughed over that. <laughs> yeah, it is more intellect. People that look at conspiracies tend to have more intellect than the average people do. He'd be a genius if that's the case, right? Well, it's a case that we we that get into it, it's 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 a driving force. I think of the truth. Mm-hmm. I hate not knowing the truth, and I despise when my government lies to me, and they lie to me all the time. And then yet when we lie to them, we go to jail. Right. Right. <laughs> the irony. I don't quite understand the fairness of this. We can go to jail for lying to the government, but the government can lie to us all the time. And while we do do something, we generally go to war. So we lose on either end. Let me ask you, uh, you mentioned something just to kind of tie up the JFK. You said if JFK sure. would have would have lived, we'd live in a different world today. What kind of a world would we, would we live in had he lived? Well, if, if there's a great book called uh, JFK and the Unspeakable. The author's name is Douglas. Mm-hmm. And this guy, was, this guy, believe it or not, is a, is a religious theologian. And he was going through the archives of the Vatican, and he discovered back in, after the Cuban Missile Crisis that Kennedy and Khrushchev were back-channel communicating with each other, and the two governments and countries didn't know it. 
Right. And they were using the Pope, Pope John, as the intermediary, like mm. sending it to him, and then he'd send wow. it on, and then they, he was the middleman. The Pope. And, this, and <laughs> Douglas discovered all this stuff in the Vatican, and it was unbelievable. And in the documents and in the discovery, after the Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy and Khrushchev realized how close we got to eliminating the planet. Right. And so they, they then realized, and both of them, and I, I'm now a fan of Nikita Khrushchev. He backed down not once, but twice. Hmm. Two hmm. times, both in Germany, at the Berlin Wall, and the Cuban Missile Crisis. He was the one that made the first step backwards. Bless him. Backwards he, to make sure that that didn't go, get worse? It didn't happen. Gotcha. He retreated. Gotcha. He took the step, the first initial step backwards. Hmm instead of forward. And thank goodness for Nikita Khrushchev, believe it or not, because who knows what could have happened on both of those events. But Kennedy and Khrushchev were communicating. They had agreed that they were going to end the Cold War by 65. Can you imagine what the world would be if there hadn't been the Cold War from 1965 to what, 1980s? Yeah. And then I have to laugh today, Chris, we got Donald Trump and all these people saying, build a wall at the Mexican border, right? Mm -hmm. Now, isn't Ronald Reagan their god? Hmm. No, the Republican sure, god. Sure, of course. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, most critically what acclaimed. Was Ronald Reagan's famous quote, if I remember it right? Mr. Gorbachev, tear <laughs> down this wall. It's great. And we're now going to build one? Ronald Reagan must be turning in his grave, Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> he must be going nuts in his grave if to, to, to watch his party advocate building a wall at the border. Hmm. In other words, and people forget this, Chris. They forget that a wall works both ways. It may attempt to keep the Mexicans out, but it also can keep you in, can it? Right. Do we really want to be East Berlin? Well. Is that our goal? It's unbelievable the fact that, you know, you're talking about Trump just to take a little bit of a detour and people just love him right now because he's so different from the typical stuff shirt politician, much sure. like much like you were. But you had platforms and you had yep. ideas and thoughts opening the door for me, Chris, to do. They're opening the door for me to be the president. Wow. Now, there's no, a thought. You want to know why? Why? OK, let's look at it. So let's have some fun with this and speculate <laughs> a little bit. OK. All right. The last nationwide election, 64% of the people did not vote. Mm -hmm. That's two out of three. Right. That's almost two-thirds. Two out of every three people did not vote. Okay, if you can harness a bunch of them, which I do, and I did in Minnesota, then you got to look at the two parties. Do you really believe Trump's going to get the Republican nomination? I don't. When it, when it comes down to brass tacks, I don't see him getting it. So where do the Trump voters go then? And then on the flip side, on the Democratic side, I don't see Bernie Sanders getting it either. Hillary's going to get it. Mm -hmm. Where do the Bernie Sanders people go then? Are they just going to be regular old Democrats again? And are the Republicans that followed Trump going to just step in line? No, they're going to look for an alternative, aren't they? Yeah. And, and if Jesse Ventura is the libertarian candidate, which the convention's in May and June of next year, I'm there waiting for them. Wow. So you're, you're considering of, of, of going for it 
I'm next just election. Jesse, I'm just being Jesse, the former Navy frogman lying in the weeds observing. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm being, Chris. I'm just kicking back, watching it develop. I have the Libertarians hold their convention in June or, or May, late May, early June. I think it's in Orlando this year. Yeah. And they will then nominate their guy for president. And then, I see, you don't want to get in now. Get the pikers out. Yeah, right. Until they're down to two. Then you jump in. Mm. And then you got all these disenchanted people. And I would run on one thing, one issue. You know what that issue would be? What? Because you can't confuse the people too much. We get confused too easily. I would run on this issue. I would challenge the American people to make history with me by electing the first president since George Washington who does not belong to a political party. Mm. <laughs> because I would seek the libertarian nomination and get it, hopefully, but I would not join them, and I'd explain that to them. You must give me the ability to be a complete independent with no party. Wow. Allow me to use your libertarian ballot access, because I'm a libertarian. I've passed their test. They got a 10-question test, and uh, whether you're a libertarian or not. Mm. But where are Trump and Bernie's going to go after they lose at the national conventions because i may be wrong but i don't see either one of them winning well then they run independently wouldn't they how can they they won't have ballot access okay i just you have to have ballot access the only way you get that is through the libertarians Uh and sanders can't get it because he's too much of a socialist for a libertarian Mm -hmm. what about Uh, trump trump is already guaranteed he won't make an independent run remember right yeah there you go well, so this like is a, I said, they're opening the door for Jesse Ventura. So this is a possibility then, Jesse, is what you're saying. Well, like I said, I'm laying in the weeds watching, <laughs> but I, I'd have to give up Mexico, yeah. which I wouldn't like to do. Uh, the other thing is, though, I can keep my show off the grid because uh, uh, the FCC doesn't control the, the Internet. So as, as so a, Therefore, I could literally do my entire campaign off my off-the-grid show. And it wouldn't cost a penny. It's the way of the world now, right? The modern way yeah, of campaigning. That's the other challenge. Could you win the presidency by only using the Internet and by not raising money? I think probably at this time in, in, in the history of There's the world is the best chance. Absolutely. There's a chance. You know, absolutely that, that, it is. See, that, that, Chris, to me, at age 64, which I am now, is, is a challenge. You know, mm-hmm. I can't go out and do 200 push-ups anymore, <laughs> you know, but, but this would be the equivalent challenge. You know, could you win the presidency by spending no money and use the Internet to do it? It's an interesting concept, and like we said, I think in the world we live in now more than ever, there's, there probably is a chance you could. Well, you know, my campaign for governor, we were the first ones in history to use the Internet. In what way? We used it. Took you thirty-five bucks to build a site. They weren't using it in politics oh, I gotcha. in nineteen ninety-eight. Yeah, and I had to. All you needed thirty-five bucks, and have the people put the time in. I had two great volunteers. They ended up going to Harvard and to Georgetown University to talk about what they did. Hmm. And now, of course, they all use the internet. But we, no, we did a travel around Minnesota the, the last weekend before the election in RVs, right. and, and people could follow us on the Internet where we were, and they could come out and get their picture taken and see themselves. So this has already worked for you in the past. Oh, God, yes. Mm-hmm. I, we were the first one. The Jesse Ventura governor's campaign was the first big campaign, that, to my knowledge, that 
positively use the Internet to its advantage. Well, let me ask you this now, talking about elections, and let's say you were in a position to be able to get a good amount of votes by using the Internet, et cetera, et cetera. Another great part of the book is when you're talking about the elections in 2000 and 2004 that were basically, for lack of a better term, rigged. How yep. could, Explain a little bit about that, and how could you avoid that in the future? Well, that's the, that's the 800-pound gorilla, and the 800-pound gorilla are these electronic voting machines. Mm-hmm. They need to be gotten rid of. Sometimes you don't want to advance technology. Right. And in the case of voting, we don't want to do that. We want, in Minnesota, we still use paper ballots where you have to put the darken in the circle. Right. Now, if you're incapable of doing that, you shouldn't be voting mm-hmm. because you've been darkening the circle since first grade. <laughs> Remember first grade, you had to sure. true false, and you had to fill in the little circle whether it was true or false. Mm-hmm. As soon as you could read, so you know. And the reason being is this, Chris: if there's going to be voter fraud, it's not going to happen because gangsters are out there rounding up people and having them illegally register. That that doesn't even happen. Voter fraud will happen with these machines that can be hacked into. These voting machines can be hacked into just like any computer. You, don't, you have no idea with one of these electronic voting machines if the, your vote went for the candidate you chose. And let me give it to you in a very simplistic way, Chris. Would you go to an ATM machine that didn't offer you a receipt? Well, no, absolutely not. Well, there's your answer. Yeah, great point. Electronic voting machines don't give you a receipt. They don't give you anything back? Nothing. Wow. You have no way of knowing whether that whether your vote went for the person that you voted for. You have no way of knowing if the person you voted for has been hacked into and the first half a million votes won't register until 500,000 and then it'll be vote number one. And that's basically... So nobody has any idea the hacking that could go on. That could li- and and we, we show it in the book that it happened in 2000 and 2004. Because I, I live in Florida, and I remember the controversy, especially in 2000 with, with Al Gore, about how we were waiting for the for the Florida to- totals to come in and the tallies. And there was a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, issues and controversies and all that sort of thing. So that cost Gore the election was what happened in Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And then the next time was uh, Ohio, because the Ohio votes all got sent to this computer place in Chattanooga, and then they were returned. And, and if you'll remember right, the, poll, the exit polls had Gore winning Florida and had, Gore, and had Kerry winning Ohio, and all of a sudden the polls were wrong. And those were the two states that won it for Bush. Florida won it for him in 2000, and Ohio won it for him in 2004. So how can that, how can that happen? Easy. You can ha- read the book. I did read the book, but I'm just... Read I'm, it again. <laughs> but it, for the people... It explains it right in there. It even names the guys who did it. But for the people listening, how can who, who can commandeer where thousands, hundreds you, of thousands of votes well, disappear? If you, like in Florida, if your secretary of state is working on the George Bush campaign mm-hmm. and your governor is his brother... Right. Duh. Do I need to say anything more? <laughs> it's you just, know... It just... And then in Ohio, what was this strange company that gathered in their votes in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee? 
Why would Chattanooga, Tennessee be counting Ohio votes? Mm-hmm. Why right. would votes have to leave a state? Well, yeah, 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 yeah good point. See, well, yeah. where there's smoke, there's generally fire. And when you start getting into this stuff and you start seeing, and then, and then the guy who is going to expose it all dies in this plane crash the day before he's supposed to testify. Right. He was one of the uh, one of the guys that was integral in, in making all this happen. Yep. And then he was going to let blow the whistle. And he was going and he was going to whistle blow it. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, right the day before he dies in a tragic plane crash. I and, guess that's you know we've had a lot of those, haven't we? I was going to say throughout the book that happens quite a bit as well. It's another pattern that you see. Yeah. People dying under unusual circumstances who have great knowledge of something. Look at Dorothy Kilgallen. The fa- she was a famous columnist in New York. She went out and got a one-on-one interview with Jack Ruby when he was still alive. Mm-hmm. She left the room and made the quote, I'm going to break the Kennedy case wide open. Four days later, she's found dead of an apparent suicide in, in her apartment in New York. Wow. Now, hmm. And then she had given her notes to her friend and neighbor. Well, apparently that got caught on to too because the friend and neighbor died shortly thereafter, too. What did the friend and neighbor die of? Uh, weird causes. Yeah, weird circumstances. It almost I don't remember off the top of my head, but it but it almost you know, it, it wasn't normal. It, it brings you back almost to to Marilyn Monroe with the with the Kennedys. You know, sure. was that part of it too? Did she die for I the same? I don't you know? know. Well, Marilyn Marilyn got a lot of bedtime talk, hmm. and Marilyn was also an embarrassment to a bunch of people. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I haven't studied Maryland to the degree that I have some of the others. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't prefer to comment on it. But it would seem it's Just falling in the same. Under some weird circumstances. Yeah. yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, let's get back to more conspiracy theories with Jesse Ventura. It, it, it's amazing to me. Is it, is it frustrating to you, Jesse, when you know we're talking about all this stuff? Like you said, the Florida votes and JFK and, and 9-11, that people just accept it and move on and not a lot of people ask questions. And if you do ask a question, then suddenly you're, you're a nut job. Is that frustrating for you? Very. Yeah. It drives me crazy. It makes me want to pull out what little hair I got left. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just sit and go, what's the matter with these sleeping? That's why I call us a country full of lemmings. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I, everybody's tunnel vision on their own little life. And, they, and, and here's my argument back to people. I go, the reason you should pay attention is because you work five days a week and the government takes half your money. Right. Now, that alone should make you pay attention to what they're doing with it. It's your money, and they take half of it. Shouldn't that inspire you? You go to work, you focus on your job to earn that money, and then you've got an entity that takes half of the fruits of your labor, and you don't even pay attention to what they do with it. You just accept it and move on. Yeah. I mean, oh, well, that's just taxes. I don't care. Like right now, 
everybody's in, uh, going crazy over what's going on with the Soviets allegedly t- attacking ISIS, they say, and we're saying they're attacking the other rebels to hold up Assad. And, and you got these guys on TV saying how essential it is for us to be there. Why? I don't give a shit whether Assad's in charge over there or not. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Let me give you the greatest argument, Chris, on the Middle East. All right. You ready for it? Yeah. Here we go. Do you remember Christopher Columbus? Yes. Okay, he allegedly discovered America for the Anglo-Saxon European world, right? Right. Now, us Minnesotans will argue that the Vikings beat him here. Mm-hmm. But that, let's throw that out and just give Columbus the benefit of the doubt. We won't worry about it. Chris, what was his mission? What was he doing? Columbus? Yeah. He was trying to find somewhere to sell his goods? Nope, nope, you're close. What? He was looking for an alternative route to India to avoid the Middle East. Oh, okay. Now, this is 1492, and he wants to find an alternative route to India because in 1492 they didn't even want to go through the Middle East. Yeah. Now, 700 years later, nothing's changed there. Mm-hmm. It's still nuts as ever. And look at science and during Columbus's time. Science said the earth was flat and that Columbus would fall off, right? Right. Well, he was willing to defy that. He was willing to fall off the earth rather than go through the Middle East. Mm. <laughs> now, shouldn't that tell you something? <laughs> right, yeah. And then, then he shows up here thinking he's arrived in India, and that's how come thus the name Indians. Ah. Because Columbus gave him that name. They weren't Indians. He thought he had arrived in India, and he didn't realize there was a big continent right in between. Mm-hmm. So, but, but going back, if Columbus was willing to defy death, fall off the earth to avoid the Middle East back in 1492, what the hell are we doing in there today? <laughs> Nothing's changed. It's got worse. It's worse. Yeah. Avoid the place. If I become president, I pull us out completely, and we're bringing the boys and girls home. We and I'm following Ronald Reagan. If you remember back when the car, when the truck bomb in Lebanon killed 200 of our brave Marines, they drove an explosive truck bomb right into the Marine barracks in Lebanon. Did Ronald Reagan go to war? No, he cut and ran. He says, "We're getting the hell out of here." What's your opinions on, on Reagan as a president? Uh, just curious. He gets far more credit for... Or he was as sinister as all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we show you in the book the uh, that's interesting. stole the election on Jimmy Carter and held the hostages till after the election. And that's what I was getting at because I was just talking the other day because that's that's a, a you know a famous you know Reagan legend that he came in there and you know kicked their asses and got the hostages back a day oh, after he got bullshit. elected in. George Bush snuck over there, negotiated with the Iranians to hold them till after the election because they felt that if the hostages got out before the election, Jimmy Carter'd win. That's unbelievable. And so the hostages, remember when I talked about POWs being yep. political pawns? That's right, yeah. The hostages, there's your example. They were political pawns. They were left in that jail of embassy over there for probably 90 days longer than what was required, all to ensure Reagan wins. And they made a deal with them to say when Reagan gets in there, then let them go? Or did Reagan actually yeah, come in and get rid of them? out the day after. Yeah. I mean, what is that, coincidence? 
And not only that, we traded arms with them. Then they used that money to fund the Contras down in Central America. That illegal war that went on down there that Ali North was involved in. And through that, they were shipping up drugs and cocaine into the United States right at the same time Nancy Reagan saying, just say no. And our own government. Mm. There's a great movie on HBO now about the reporter out in Sacramento that broke that story, and he's dead now. Of course. Suicide. Two bullets to the head with a revolver. Wow. That's pretty interesting, ain't it, Chris? How do you put two bullets in your head with a revolver? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite a guy that can do that. Yeah. I've never met one. <laughs> You know, and another uh, pattern too throughout the book is you just mentioned Bush and Cheney throughout so many of these things. Those Bushes get around when it comes to a lot of these conspiracies. That, absolutely, because it's the same people that did Watergate did Kennedy. Hmm. How about when I, I had the conspiracy theory show? Yeah, and I had I had Saint John Hunt on. He's the son of E. Howard Hunt, and his father gave him a deathbed confession. Uh, uh, visual, oral, and written to the, to the Kennedy killing. Who did it? It was called the big event. Mm-hmm. We, we did the whole thing on my show. I thought it would be headlines across America. Wasn't one word about it. Right. He went to 60 Minutes first. 60 Minutes was all hot for it. The story of the century. All of a sudden, they wouldn't do it. You're kidding me. Nope. St. John will tell you the story. St. John Hunt. It's amazing. So who put oh, the kibosh on that then? Jude- Wait a minute. Same thing happened with Judith Mary Baker. She was Lee Harvey Oswald's mistress in New Orleans. Yeah. And she came out, 60 Minutes was going to do a big thing on her, and all of a sudden the plug got pulled. Somebody from on high. Well, let's take it to Jesse Ventura. When Jesse Ventura got out of office in 2003, I was the hottest commodity out there. CNN, MSNBC, and Fox got in a bidding war for me. Mm-hmm. MSNBC won. They were creating a whole show I was going to have five nights a week, right? Right. Out of Minneapolis, the Midwest. All of a sudden, we got a phone call. Is it true Governor Ventura doesn't support the Iraq war? This was right before we were going in. And my subordinate who worked with me at the Capitol said, uh, no, the governor doesn't support the Iraq war. There was a pause on the other end of the line, and they said, uh, does Connecticut know about this? The headquarters of MSNBC. Mm-hmm. And my guy said, I don't know. There was another pause, and they said, do you think he'd change his mind? (laughs) And my subordinate said, I don't think so. He's pretty staunch on it. And my show never got on. Wow. was pulled right after that, and they paid me for three years. You know, I remember that, too. That was the big deal that you had your show on MSNBC, and then it just disappeared or never happened. Well, and it's deeper than that, Chris. They had just hired Phil Donahue a year earlier. Uh Uh-huh. Phil Donahue had their highest ratings. He opposed the, the, the Iraq war. They, they dropped Phil. Wow. Think back to the Iraq war, Chris. Was there one person on TV voicing disapproval? No, nothing when you can George remember. Bush said, we're going to invade Iraq. That's what made me question 9-11 initially. I hadn't questioned 9-11, and I've been vindicated on that now. We'll talk about that in a second. But... I, had, I didn't question 9-11 until George Bush made the decision to invade Iraq. And I went, wait a minute, there wasn't one Iraqi even involved in 9-11. They're all Saudis, Why would right? we invade Iraq? They had nothing to, isn't this to, to avenge 9-11? Mm-hmm. 
well, why are we invading Iraq? They had nothing to do with it. That's when I started to question 9-11. I thought, wait a minute, what's the big picture here? What the hell's going on? You know, oh, and, then, and then everything else fell into place. Well, and you're right about that, too, the, the, the part two of what really happened on September 11th, and there's so much other. You mentioned that you were vindicated in your, in your well, opinions. Hear, let me explain how I'm vindicated. The, the official 9-11 report, which is like the Warren Commission, right? Mm-hmm. 28 pages of that report have been redacted. We're not allowed to read them. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, I know what's in the 28 pages. I had Congressman Cook and Senator Graham on my show. Both of them are Republicans on the Intelligence Committee. They've read it. Both of them have assured me there is nothing in there that affects our national security. Mm -hmm. You know what the 28 redacted pages are that vindicate me on 9-11? What? It shows that the hijackers were bankrolled by high echelon of the Saudi government. Wow. Now, doesn't that change 9-11 completely? It takes it from a terrorist attack to a... To a finance Saudi Arabian attack. Now, let me stretch it. Let's take a stretch here. Let's throw a wild pitch and see if we get a strike or think about it. Mm -hmm. Could the Iraq war have been payback? The Saudis hated Saddam. So they did 9-11 to benefit out what the Bushes and Cheney wanted to do. And then in return, we overthrow Saddam for them. Hmm. You think that might have been the backroom deal? Well, it makes sense if the Saudis are paying for it, for sure. Well, in those 28 pages, Senator Graham and Congressman Cook assured me that that's why And George Bush had them redacted. And Barack Obama continues to do it. Now, they have a bill in Congress to bring out, and I urge people, I urge people, to find out and get involved, we have a right to know those 28 redacted pages they won't let us see. 3,000 Americans died that day, and we don't have a right to see 28 of the pages of the investigation. How do they explain that to the families of the victims? They don't. Hmm. Who do you think wants them? These pages exposed. The families do. They don't. That's just collateral damage, man. Yeah. You know, it's a bigger picture for them. They don't worry about 3,000 deaths. It's a big picture. It's 3,000. Look at, and, and for people that think conspiracies couldn't happen because too many people would know about it, think again. The Manhattan Project, which was the project of us creating the nuclear bomb, mm-hmm. over 100,000 people worked on that, and nobody was aware of it until the bomb hit Japan. What did they think they were working on? They, that's how they kept that they, they knew, but the secret was kept. Oh, gotcha. When you, when you face prison, if you talk, yeah. look what happens to whistleblowers in our country. They go to jail. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with John Kukanu? No. Well, he's the CIA agent who exposed the, the torture. Which torture? He's the guy that exposed the United States was torturing people. You know what happened to him? I didn't want to know what happened. Dead? Three years in federal prison. Wow. And yet the torturers go free. Not one torturers in prison. What does he get three years for? Yeah, because they went after him. They trumped up stuff on him, and he had the plea bargain to save himself, just like Tommy Chong had to for sending a pipe through the mail. Yeah. They threatened that his wife and his kid were part of the corporation, and he'd go to jail, too. 
So Tommy took a plea bargain to save his wife and kid. That's how they operate. You aware of what's happening with my court case? No, what are you talking about with the American Sniper thing? Yeah, the, the, the Chris Kyle American Sniper. I won. He defamed me. It never happened, just like I said. Right. I won the case. Well, they took it to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. I won on defamation and unjust enrichment, that they, which is a law. They enriched themselves over their wrongdoing, mm-hmm. which they did. The book had a 4,000 pre-sale. The day he did me and told that story, it jumped 100,000 in one day. Wow. So, and they're trying to say that I had no, I shouldn't get any money for the selling of the book. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what's going on, though. It's in front of the 8th District on uh, October 20th, oral arguments. 32 or 33, I can't remember the exact number, of the major media conglomerates of America. I mean, I'm talking the New York Times, the Washington Post, public television. I got the list here. I'm looking for it right now. I don't have my glasses, though, so it won't do any good. But (laughs) I'm telling you, everybody, virtually everybody in the mainstream media, the corporate entities, signed a petition, friendly petition, to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals asking that my verdict be overturned. Why? Because they don't like the law unjust enrichment. They want that gone so that they have the ability to defame people and make money at it. It will become a business for them if they succeed. If they beat me in the appeals court, it will then become a business. The media won't have to check anything. They can write anything they want, pay a little defamation money, and rake in the profits. It would be equivalent to this, Chris. Here's what it comes down to. Imagine Chris Jericho goes out and robs the bank, right? Mm-hmm. And they catch you. So you go to prison for three years for the actual bank robbery, right? Right. But then when you get out, you get to keep the money. <laughs> well, a lot of people yeah. might do that. You're a lot right. of people might say, you know, I'll spend three years in jail if I can rob and get a half a million. Well, in this case, the book sold $40 million. Wow. That was the sale of the book, forty million bucks, and, and I increased it one hundred thousand in a day. And you took a, uh, a public relations drubbing for that too. You oh, be- I'm still taking it. Yeah, because I sought the truth. See what they did too. They portrayed that I went against a widow and her kids mm-hmm. after Kyle tragically died. I never did. She chose to come into it as the executor of the estate. And an insurance company has paid every cent for them. Mm-hmm. And an insurance company will pay all of, the, all of the award. Oh, I see. Kyle's family will be out not one nickel. Right. And yet the mainstream media has portrayed me the villain. And, but you know what? You know how I've gotten over it? How I've adapted to it, Chris? It's great. You're going to love this. Oh. I adapted to it. I went back into Jesse the Body mode when I was a villain. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? Everybody hated me at one time when I was Jesse the Body Ventura. Screw them. Mm -hmm. I stood up for what was right. I stood up for the truth. And if they hate me again, I'll just be Jesse the Body again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. You played that to to, uh, a T 30 years ago. It was a way for me to get through it, Chris, because mm-hmm. I'm not really Jesse the Body. Right, it's a character. You know, we're all characters we portray. Now, granted, many of our characters, we do carry some of the traits. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. 
but we expose them being way over the top, you know. Isn't there something, too, about the snooker situation? That's, I mean, you were around back in those days. Did you ever I hear anything about that? I remember, I wasn't there, but I remember hearing about it. I remember hearing that some girl died in his room, and, and all I know is that the, the WWF got it under the rug quick. Mm-hmm. There were, all of a sudden it was gone, and another, another thing was said about it. Right. And I don't know what strings were pulled. I don't know any more than that, because all I know is that I heard about it, yeah. you know, vaguely. I wasn't there. I don't recall. You know, it was. I guess it happened in Allentown. Mm-hmm, like Maybe in '82. I was on TV. I don't even know if I was. I think I you, always traveled alone anyway. I think you were probably still working for Vern at the time because that was about '82 or so. So you weren't working for Vince back then. Maybe so. Yeah. I remember that I heard about it though. But here you know, we, you know, the old thing: telegraph, telephone, <laughs> and telewrestler. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but here we are, thirty years later. Now the, the case has been opened up again. It, it's it's pretty amazing that that's that that's happening. Well, you know, people need to understand there's no statute of limitations on murder. Really? No. Like, they could open up the Kennedy case again. Mm-hmm. There's never been a trial. They could open up 9-11 and have a trial. No, there is no statute of limitations on murder. If you're charged with murder, you could get away with it for 60 years, and if evidence comes forward, you could be tried 60 years later. Wow, that's kind of where it's at for Jimmy. You know, like I said, who, who, who I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's... Well, I, again, I don't know the details. I don't know much about it at all. And, and it'll still be very difficult because, you know, what evidence can they, will they have enough today? Right. Yeah, exactly. And people have told me, too, that Jimmy's suffering from dementia. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him. I can't remember the last time I saw him, but he's definitely getting slower and slower. But uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I'm not sure if he has dementia or not, but he's definitely getting... Uh, you know, he's getting well, older. I know there's been a defense made that he won't be competent to stand trial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that he won't be a, a sound enough mind to do it. I don't know. Maybe if they're playing that game or if it's real or not, I have no way of knowing. I will state this, though. When I was inducted into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, they asked me who the two favorite guys that I preferred to work with, to wrestle. Mm-hmm. And the two, for me, was Jimmy Snuka and Tito Santana. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There was just, we had chemistry. And I was with Jimmy in Portland where I was the villain and he was the, the baby face. Ah, uh, okay. And I, I, we were married. I mean, Jimmy mm-hmm. and I worked together for like two years. Yeah. yeah. And what a night off. <laughs> uh, you know, you knew if you had snooker, you'd have a phenomenal match. The thing would go great. And, you know, and you'd make money. What could be better than that? Yeah, exactly, right? It's the, it's the perfect night at work. Yep, let, let me, let me, work. And, and I felt that way about Tito also. Tito and I had a chemistry where we could, it was one of those, you know it, Chris, where you get with a guy and he's already thinking what you're thinking mm-hmm. ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's how in touch you are with each other. Was that Tito, was that in the WWF or was that? Uh, Both, AWA and WWF. Yeah. yeah. Those are my two favorite guys that if I had to choose... Who would I want to wrestle tonight? It would be either Jimmy Snuka or Tito Santana. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You mentioned his name earlier in uh, the sudden passing of, of Roddy Piper. I know at one point you guys were even planning on doing a, a television show together. Did you still talk to him uh, in, in this day and age, or was that something from... from well, from... I'll, I'll tell you, I took the Piper death. It's been the toughest death that I've yeah. heard of so far in my career in wrestling. And the reason being was I was always a loner. Uh-huh. I stuck to myself. That's the way I was. And uh, 
after I got out of the business, Roddy was probably the guy attached to the business somewhat who mm-hmm. I was in the most contact with, both in running into each other. I remember one night I was doing the Tonight Show, and Roddy somehow was backstage. <laughs> so he and I sat and chewed the fat for a half an hour, you know, reminiscing. And then Roddy had his podcast. I did his podcast. He did mine. Yeah. And all this. So, you know, I, I, I don't have any relationship with anyone. I have more of a relationship with you in pro wrestling, mm-hmm. doing your show, than I do with guys that I wrestled with today. But Roddy was the exception. And Roddy was my one element that kept me somewhat tied to that business because he always knew what was happening. And yeah. He was up on everything, and then the night we talked, Roddy asked me, he said, do you miss the business? And I looked at him and said, not a bit. <laughs> I said, are you kidding? Traveling all over, all them long nights, getting the crap kicked out of you, your body aches and pains? I said, no, I don't miss it. I remember Roddy looked at me with almost a tear in his eye, and he said, God, I sure do. Hmm. He said, I miss the camaraderie, I miss it all. I said, Rod, that's where you and I differ. <laughs> I said, that's maybe why we get along good, but we, on that point, you and I are opposite directions. I said, I don't miss the business a bit. And I said, and Roddy obviously did. I, you know, I, I, I made the quote. I said, the wrestling business was made for Roddy Piper, and Roddy Piper was made for it. He's a perfect uh, And perfect I firmly player. believe that because Roddy, Roddy, Roddy loved the business more than anybody I think that I ever met. To the to the to the day he died, I think probably right yep. to the end. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, Jesse, By the way, and and in his honor, you know, remember when uh, uh, Ronda Rousey dedicated that last fight to him? Yeah. Because she took his name Rowdy and got his permission. That's right. Yeah. I want to make a prediction. I want to see Ronda Rousey take on Floyd Mayweather and mixed. Do you think that's something that would ever be booked? Do you think they I would don't ever? Know, but I think she'd win. I think she probably would too. I, mean, I do too. I think Ronda Rousey could beat Floyd Mayweather. I mean, Floyd's got a pretty wicked punch, but she's yeah, pretty but tough. All Floyd does is throw one and run. That's true. If she, she could take one punch, sit there and slug it out. Yeah, his fights are horrible. I won't even watch him. I watched him and Pacquiao for free down in Mexico. Uh huh. I left. I said, "This is the worst fight I've ever seen. Worst one." And the and one this guy, Brad, you know, Rousey would get him, and the minute she put that arm bar, Floyd would have a choice. He would have a choice. Are you going to be a man and get your arm broken, or are you yeah. going to submit? Because if she gets that on you, I don't give a shit who you are. You know, She's going to break your arm. Floyd's such a such a showman and such a you know a, a big mouth as far as knowing that's part of his character. I could almost see him taking that, even though there's no way he can win. You know, if he beats her, then he's beating up. You know, a woman. And if he loses, he then he's losing. That, In what way? Well, he beat up his wife. <laughs> so, that's the other reason I want Rousey to nail him. <laughs> that's probably the reason why she wants to fight him, too. It might be. Did you hear what she said at the ESPN Awards? Uh, what did she say? Well, she she won Fighter of the Year. Yeah. And she got up there and she smiled. She's a beautiful girl. Yeah. She got up there and she smiled. And she goes... I wonder how Floyd Mayweather feels losing to a girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I thought, Rhonda, you're good. You're real good. Yeah. She, she, <laughs> right now, I, I said that, uh, I've got a little bit of heat because I said she could do more for the women's movement. She is doing more than if Hillary Clinton got elected president. 
because everybody knows Ronda right now. Everybody loves her, and she's become like one of the most powerful women in in in, the, in America today, just as a result of what she's been doing. And it's for more than that. Who the hell's going to fight her? I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Are you she, kidding me? She could do what she I wants. Would ha- I would happily admit to the public I would back down from Ronda Rousey. I think that today. makes that makes two of us. There's your headline: Jesse and Jericho admit. But Admit they would not fight Ronda Rousey. He wouldn't today. do it. <laughs> There's no way I'd fight her. God, I'm 64. I got enough trouble swinging golf clubs. <laughs> Jesse, it's great to talk to you, man. It's always a, always an interesting conversation. The book is American Conspiracies, the updated version, and uh, so much stuff that I'm sure you're just scratching the surface. So uh, I want to talk to you more when when you put out the third edition and the fourth and the fifth. Well, we don't know if we'll get that far, Chris, but it's always fun to talk to you. Good luck in everything you're doing, and uh, and we'll see about uh, we'll see about uh, getting you on board with me if I do make that decision next May and June. I, let me know, man. You can announce it on my show. Because <laughs> you know, uh, especially you know if I do do it via the internet, I'll need all the internet people I can get to get to get out there and, and get it done. I'll be there for you, man. I will. Okay, Chris. Thanks, Jesse. You too. Thanks take, a lot. Take, Have a good one. You too, buddy. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to the governor, Jesse Ventura. His new book is American Conspiracies, Volume 2. It came out yesterday, and you know where you can get it? Amazon. And please use those Talk is Jericho links when you get your copy. Just go to podcast1.com, click on the Support or Show Sponsors banner at the top of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got amazing links for the USA, the Canada A, the UK A. Every time you use them links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. Go ahead and pick up American Conspiracies Volume 2 by Jesse Ventura, or maybe get your rock on by picking up a copy of the Darkness's latest album, Last of Our Kind. Buy whatever you want, just use the Talk is Jericho Amazon links. All right. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for using the sponsors. Thanks for the great emails you've been sending to talkisjericho at gmail.com. Got another couple to share. Arthur from New Jersey says, are there going to be any Fozzie shows coming to the U.S., any in New Jersey? We're winding down this tour cycle, Arthur. Uh, we're going on the Kiss Cruise. Then we're heading over to Europe and the U.K. And then we start working on a new record. So um, hopefully we'll be back in New Jersey early in the next year uh, or maybe next summer when the new record comes out. All right. Tatum and Honolulu says hey Chris been a fan of yours since WCW love your work in the ring um, and I was wondering if you do talk as Jericho with the band's Ghost and Santa Sonia uh, tried to do something with Ghost didn't quite work out Santa Sonia maybe Corey Lowry who stood in for Fozzie on the last UK tour is in Santa Sonia now also Mike Mushock my buddy so hopefully we will uh, get a chance to uh, to do something with them uh, all right. Send me your comments. Talk is Jericho at gmail.com. Keep the questions and comments coming. If you're listening to this, I'm coming at you live from Saudi Arabia in Jeddah. Going to talk all about that uh, on next week's show. After that, head to Mexico uh, with the WWE October 16th, 17th, 18th, and then my WWE shows are done. Then we head over to uh, Fozzie Mode October 30th. The Kiss Cruise starting the Cinderblock Party Tour November 13th in Rotterdam. Going all the way through to Wales on December 5th. London Islington Academy, November 26th. You are not going to want to miss this show. Go to FozzyRock.com for all the cities and venues and VIP information. Come say hi. Come say hello to me. Come see what's up. Uh, Yeah, thanks a lot to uh, all of you 
for listening to Talk is Jericho. Thanks to the sponsors, Nature Box, DDP Yoga, DraftKings, Uber, Burger King. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to Jesse Ventura. Thanks to uh, my gang of super hilarious friends that were on the Jericho 25th Anniversary Podcast. I'm very, very excited to... Uh, uh, continue doing what I do for all of you. And next week on this show right here, next Wednesday right here on this show, the Dudley Boys. First ever podcast together as a team on Talk is Jericho. It's going to be a huge, huge show. I'm doing it for you, doing it for the kids, doing it for the yeah boys. I'll see you, on, uh, see you next Wednesday. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 